appreciated the invitation to be here and allowing us to be a part of your meeting this weekend. We've really been blessed by being here. And Brother Ronnie said at the end of the communion service yesterday, talking about what a sweet service it was, and that he was praying that that same spirit would go through the service this morning. And I pray the same thing and got a few thoughts on my mind that are kind of connected with the communion service. So as always, we pray that the Lord will be with us, for we're nothing but a vessel, hopefully we're emptied of ourselves. the only good thing that's going to come of this is what the Lord puts in, not what comes from me. I am nothing, I have nothing except what the Lord gives me. There's no word of glory except in the Lord, and he knows how to keep us humble. We get to thinking we're something, we can fall flat on our face, so I pray this morning that You'll keep praying, and I appreciate the ones that have told me you were going to be praying. A couple, several of you yesterday said you'd be praying for this morning, and the ones that didn't tell me that did, I appreciate it. And I'm going to get right into the message here if you try to. And, you know, in First Thessalonians, Paul tells us to rejoice evermore. That means always to rejoice. And in Philippians, Chapter 4, which you can go ahead and be turning to Philippians if you want to. That's where we're going to try to be speaking from. But in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We're told this over and over again in the scriptures. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he tells us, Three things that I hope by God's enabling grace we can do here this morning. And if we are able to do it, we can go away saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcisions which do these three things. We worship God in the Spirit, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. That pretty much sums up what we believe and what the scriptures teach. If we worship God and the Spirit, we rejoice in Christ Jesus and His finished work, and we have absolutely no confidence in the flesh. Mine, yours, Brother Ronnie's, anybody. We have no confidence in the flesh. And, you know, you take any one of these out and you've got a problem. If we've got any confidence in the flesh, you're not going to be rejoicing in the work of Christ as we ought to. And if we've got confidence in the flesh, we're not going to be worshiping God as we ought to. We might be a child of God and be misguided, but we won't be worshiping God in spirit and in truth if we think we've got somewhere to glory in it. And thinking on those thoughts, I want to, my text is in the second chapter of Philippians, starting in verse 9 there. He says, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we start here where it says wherefore. And in the scriptures, where whenever it says therefore or wherefore, it's talking about something above it it's a result of something above it that it's saying wherefore or therefore you know over there in uh romans chapter 12 apostle paul after all that 
doctrinal teaching he's given us there in Romans. He comes down to Romans chapter 12 and he says, I therefore beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, therefore, based on all this other that he has taught before that, should we not present our bodies a living sacrifice? That's the grounds for why we would want to do it. And then he says the same thing. If you notice over in the book of Ephesians, I think there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. The first three are talking about salvation. It's totally of the Lord. It's all of grace. It's not of ourselves. We're dead in trespassing sin. He makes all that clear in the first three chapters. Then in chapter 4, he says, similar to what he says there in Romans chapter 12, he says, I therefore, he used the word there, I can't remember exactly the word in there, that we walk worthy of the calling, the vocation where we've been called. It's the same teaching there. It's based on the doctrinal teaching before that. And here in this verse where it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Why has he done it? Well, let's back up a few verses here. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for the sake of time. But he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, listen, this is what he did. But may, this is Christ Jesus, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And the next word there is wherefore. Because of this, that Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, it says that God hath, he not just exalted him, he has highly exalted him above every name. We've got a song, you know, we sing, one there is above all others. There's only one that's above all others. There's not two, there's not three. I know God is three in one, but there's none other than Jesus Christ that is above all others. He's the only one that we desire to worship. He's the only one we should desire to worship. In all of our salvation, all of our hopes for this life and the one to come are hanging upon him. He's a nail fastened in a sure place. And all of our hopes and all of our confidence can be fastened on that, hung on that nail that's fastened. And this morning, just for a few minutes, I want to think about him being highly exalted. You know, I know we're living in, I believe, in perilous times, as spoken of in the scriptures, just dangerous times, perilous times, when it seems that all around us, the world is hating God, turning against anything that is of God, the mention of God. They don't want the mention of God anywhere. I'm liable to knock this thing off the stage, get excited here, but the whole world is turned against God, and our nation seems to be following the same procedure, and it's, it's a shame, and our, like we are talking, some of them were talking this weekend about the mega churches, and a lot of the churches are bringing in this new gospel, which is really not a new gospel, it's a perversion of the true gospel, Paul said, and... It, it can be very discouraging to us. We've got this COVID going around. It, it seems like there's a great falling away when the love of many, iniquity is abounding, the love of many is waxing cold. And it's very easy for us to get discouraged and get lose hope and do like the children of Israel did and hang our harps on the willow trees and say we can't sing in a strange land anymore. But God tells us in the scripture, here are those verses I just read to you, rejoice evermore. He doesn't say rejoice when things are going good. He says rejoice evermore. And there's a lot of things we can rejoice about. I know there's a lot of dark things around us and we don't need to be blind to it. But even in that, we need to cling to Christ and rejoice in his finished work and that we have a hope that we're one of his. 
that we've got to hope that no matter what happens down here, as David said in the psalm, though the earth be removed and the mountains be in, moved into the sea, yet our trust and our refuge is in God Almighty. That's where our trust is. It's not in us. It's not in the government. The government promises anything and everything and hardly ever backs up any of it. And we need to have our confidence in God Almighty. It's not in the preacher. It's not in the church. And our confidence needs to be there. And I hope this morning that the Lord will bless us that we might be able to look, lift, be lifted up above the shadows of this low land of sin and sorrow and be able to rejoice. And this morning what we're going to talk about is the exaltation of Christ. Yesterday at the communion, we're made to be put into remembrance about what he's done for us, how he suffered for us. And as a result of that suffering, it says here, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name above every name. And one thing I believe we can, as we think on the exaltation of Christ, that we can rejoice in, just the fact of it, that he is exalted, ought to be something for us to rejoice in. Because you remember what Christ prayed over there in I think it's in John chapter 17. He said that they also may, may be one in us. That they, we might be one in him. And then uh, Paul says over in Ephesians chapter 5, he says we're members of his body, we're members of his flesh, and of his bone. We're one with Christ. We're complete in him. We're one with him. And it says in another place that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It don't get much better than that. You may have some rich people down here you're waiting for to die and you're going to get a bunch of money and it might be exciting to think about that. But moth and rust and thieves and all kinds of things can take that away from us. But we've got an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for us and nothing can get to it. And so we see that we're one in Him. If we're one in Him, then we've got a lot to rejoice in because we're heirs with Him. And... You know, when we're blessed to see that we're a, we have a relationship with Christ, he is our elder brother, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, then we can rejoice knowing that he is exalted. You know, in the world, the way the world thinks, if we've got somebody kin to us that's famous, you know, a president or a governor or whatever, a sports player or whatever, we, we just can't wait to tell somebody about it. We're kind of proud of it, you know that there's some big will or famous person, whatever the situation is. But we've got one in our family who's been highly exalted way above all others. And he, he is our kinsman. And it says that he's the captain of our salvation. And we rejoice to know that he's exalted because we're exalted in him, in and through him. And you say, well, how's that? Well, you remember over in Revelation where he says that he has made us kings and priests unto God? We're made kings and priests unto God. We're a royal priesthood. And I believe that's a pretty good exaltation for a filthy, unworthy worm. That's, you know, we're not only unworthy, we're, it says that the carnal mind is enmity, not is at enmity. We are enmity. We're just, before we're born again, that's all we are is total enemy of God. We hate God. We don't want anything to do with Him. We're not seeking God. We're far from Him, and we hate Him. We don't like to think that way, but we actually hate him until we're born again. There's nothing in us that would have us look to God. And to be raised up to that position out of the miry clay, have our feet put on a solid rock, and be able to be heirs and joint heirs with Christ, and <clears throat> to be made kings and priests unto God, that's an amazing thing, and we should never get over it. We can rejoice in these things 
you know, the, I think it's in Psalms 89, it says, blessed or happy are those that know the, know the joyful sound. And it's a joyful sound to know these things, what the Lord has done for us. And we need to think on these things more. The scripture tells think on things that are lovely, that are pure, that are honest, that are good. And you know, you're thinking on things of this world. There's not much down here to look at and think on. If you're watching the television much, you're not seeing much good, much lovely, much truth, much anything that's going to help you. Look in this word, in the Word, and look to Christ, and it'll it'll make us be able to rejoice even in the midst of all these troubles that we go through in this life. I don't care how bad this COVID gets. God is still sovereign. He's still on his throne. And he says, he doesn't say he'll deliver us from all these things. He said, I'll go with you through them. And he tells us over in Isaiah, he says, ye that walk in darkness and have no light. And he's talking to little children of God there. He's not talking to a dead alien sinner out here. He says, when you're going through these seasons of darkness where you can't feel God, you don't see God. He says, what's he say? He says, stay upon your God. Cling to him. Don't give up on God. He's all we got. And we need to cling to him no matter how, how we feel. It's not about our feelings. It's about him and what he's done for us. And it's unchanging. We change. We're fickle. Our emotions go up and down. I get so excited some days I just want to get on the housetop preach all over this nation the glories of my God. There's other days I want to crawl in a hole. I feel so embarrassed at the poor effort I've given to trying to preach that I don't want to face anybody anymore. I just feel like I want to crawl in a hole and disappear off this earth. Feel like I, I, I didn't lift the Lord up the way he ought to have been lifted up, and I never did. We, you know, the best we do, we've got a poor, lisping, stammering tongue, and it's an unspeakable gift that we're trying to talk about. And Paul said, with all his great eloquence and his speaking there, he said it's an unspeakable gift. The unsearchable riches of Christ It's just something that we can't, we can't fathom. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg regards to you get the best preacher up here you ever got, and he's just barely touching the tip of it. We'll know it all better by and by. Not down here in this life, but we should be striving for it down here. And all this ought to, realizing these things, it ought to, first of all, humble us. That's one of the main things in the scripture is humility. That's the proper attitude of worship. If we're truly worshiping God, we have to be humble. And we can't work it up in ourselves. Do you know Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what he say? He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. And all through the scriptures, it was that way. You know, Job, he kind of got frustrated, and he was telling the Lord all this stuff, and the Lord said, he listened to him for a while, and then he said, all right, Job, gird up your loins, and then you be quiet, I'm going to talk. He started talking. Oh, Job listened to him a little bit. He realized what happened. He spoke out of turn. He said, I put my mouth, my hand over my mouth. I've spoken once, yea, twice. Not again. I've learned my lesson. He's the one that's in control. He's sovereign. He's the one that deserves all worship. We deserve nothing down here. We get that out of whack sometimes, and the Lord has to do us the same way he did Job. He has to say, hang on here. Let me talk. You know, you're full of all this talkiness. And it, it's usually because we're feeling sorry for ourselves or whatever the situation is, but we need to bow in humility is what we ought to do. And, you know, I was thinking about how well y'all have treated us here. We're just so blessed to be here among y'all. We're not worthy of it and put us up in a motel and paid for it and haven't bought a meal since we've been here and get to enjoy the fellowship and the communion. It's just been a little taste of heaven here on earth, and we really appreciate the invitation. We really do. And... But I was thinking, you know, what David said back there one time. He said, uh, uh, I can't remember the exact way how he said that, but, oh, 
he was talking about the Lord visiting him there, and he, he said something to the effect of, What am I and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And that's the way I feel about being here this weekend. Who am I and what am I? And, and Brother Ronnie, you know, he didn't know me from Adam just not too long ago, and he just took a liking to me or whatever, and I don't know why, and that's, you know, it's a saying, it's grace of God what it is, that the Lord loves us and that anybody else does, but when the Lord sheds his love abroad in our heart, it makes us love others, and that's where that love comes from, it's from the Lord, but, you know, just the fact that he is exalted and we're kin to him ought to be something to rejoice in. I want to move on. I don't want to take too much time on each one of these points, but we can also, I think, rejoice in and find comfort in the, the reason of Christ's exaltation, the reason why he was. You know, like I said a while ago, it says, wherefore? Because he has suffered all that. We went over that yesterday, you know, some of it, and it's not wrong to go over it again, but for the sake of time, I don't want to go over it, but we know that he made himself of no reputation. He who was a king of kings, Lord of lords, it's mind-blowing to think on these things that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, he lowered himself to come down here. He who was infinite came down here to become an infant. In a, in a born in a stable in a barn, he humbled himself. He didn't come born to a royal family like, you know, we would picture that somebody that's famous, we think they're going to be born in a palace somewhere in the White House or somewhere like that. That's not how he came. He came in humility and he, he's not coming again in humility. He came in humility the first time, but he's not coming back that way. And, but anyway, he made himself of no reputation. He became a servant, just like in the feet washing thing. He washed the disciples' feet. They should have been washing his, but he washed theirs, showing what we ought to do like him. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The cross was the most shameful and painful death that there was, maybe that there still is. And it's shameful, like the brother said yesterday, only the worst of the people they put to that kind of a death, the ones that they thought were the worst. Of course, they didn't have him pegged, right? But, you know, the scripture says that though he was rich, yet, and, and thank God for the buts and the yets in the scripture, that though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sakes, that we might become rich through his poverty. That's amazing grace, brothers and sisters, that he did that. He gave all that up. He was a creator of all the earth, and he came down here. He's the one that says that the government is on his shoulders back there in Isaiah chapter 9, and he comes down here, and he's, he's a, on his mother's breast, and she has to carry him around now while he's an infant there. And that, that's amazing that the God of the universe would stoop down to that, and then he stooped was even worse than all that is what at the cross and in the garden of Gethsemane all the torture the spitting the slapping they plucked his beard he was hated by the very ones he came down here to redeem now that you know it's bad enough to be hated by people that you don't like either and you just wish they would die and they wish you'd die and you just want to be away from each other but the very ones that he came down here to redeem and die for his enemies he they treated him that way and there was no recognition of it of what he, he was coming for or why he came and they, they treat him bad end up killing him that, that's what he got for his trouble for coming down here he suffered and died for our in our stead and for our sake and therefore God had highly exalted him you know the principle in the Bible is all through there that 
those that walk in pride, he's able to obey. And if we lift ourselves up in pride, we're going to be humbled. If you walk in humility, he'll lift you up. It's just the way of the scriptures. The way up's down, the way down's up. It's the opposite of the way we think. We think push yourself forward, step on everybody and get all you can get. That's the opposite of what the scripture teaches. God says he's sovereign, vengeance is mine. He will take care of it all if we'll leave it in his hands. But too often we want to take it in our hands. And we just imagine him, we talked about yesterday, nailed to the cross, bleeding. They were scoffing him. And just saying, you know, oh, if you be God, come down from that cross. You know, all this ridicule. He knew who he was all the time. He knew why he came here. He knew who he was. And he knew he could have called 10,000 angels down here. Or he could have just spoke the word. And every person that was in earshot of him would have dropped dead. Just been a little spot of dust there on earth if he had so desired. But he didn't for our sakes. Uh, he did all for our sakes. And we need to keep that in mind. And it will cause us to rejoice in these things. And another thing we can rejoice in, we can take comfort in the person who exalted Christ. Now, if you notice, Christ did not exalt himself. He, he lived according to what he taught in the scriptures. He that uh, exalts himself is going to be humbled. He did not exalt himself when he was here on earth. He never did. You won't find that in scripture where he exalted himself. And God is the one that exalted him. His heavenly father exalted him and you know, the, the, over there in Proverbs, it says, most men, well, everyone proclaim their own goodness. You know, everybody wants to proclaim how good they are. But he says, but a faithful man, who shall find? Well, Christ is a faithful man. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful man. He did not proclaim himself as, he did proclaim himself as our Savior, but he did not go around seeking to be exalted while he was here on earth. He was walking in humility here. And another thing to think about, not only did God, did God exalt Christ, Christ didn't exalt himself, but another point to make is it was not man that exalted him. It should have been man that exalted him, and we should try to exalt him today. But man is the one he did all this for, and man should have exalted him. But did he? Oh, no. You would think, and that's another point, if, if there's anybody here doesn't believe in total depravity, you look in the garden of the, back there in the Garden of Eden, or you look at the cross. There's two places where man had his chance, if you believe in chances. Back there in the Garden of Eden, he was in a perfect environment. He hadn't sinned. What did he do? He said, no, I'm going to side with Satan. He's whispering in my ear over here. I don't like what you're telling me, God. I like what I hear over here. I want to be boosted up in pride. I want to be like you. And so he forsook God's ways. And, but he had his chance there. If you want to talk about chances, he could have, it was a perfect environment. You know, people say, well, put man in a good environment. That's all you got. He's got a spark of good in there. You just fan on it and get him in a good environment. He's going to respond to the gospel. He won't. He's dead. He cannot and he will not respond to anything. You put a dead man down here in the casket, you can preach, you can beg, you can pour water on him, you can tell him, you know, you just wink an eye, you get a million dollars. He's not going to move anything. I guarantee it. He's dead in trespasses and sins. And compare the physical to the other. And the other thing about that is, you know, in creation, God is the only one that can create. Man can make stuff out of stuff that God has created, but no, man cannot create. And in the creation of this world and all that is in it and man himself, it's God that created. There was no man back there taking counsel with him in on the deal. It was all God. And in the, the new birth, it's the same way. Doesn't it say that we're a new creation? He created that. There's no man can create that it's out of a dead thing into a living thing. It takes the power of God as the only one to do it. And so we notice that Christ was highly exalted by his Father 
not by himself, and man was nowhere around. Where was he at the cross? Did he come over? Did any man stand up? You know, people say, well, give him a right environment and give him a chance. What about there at the cross? They see him being crucified. Pilate brought him out there and said, behold the man. He was standing there. It says his visage was marred more than any man's. And I think Pilate brought him out there that time thinking that the the Jews would see how terrible shape he was in and would release him. He wanted to release him. I believe he knew he was an innocent man. And, but they said, no, we want him dead. We would just release Bar- Barabbas to us. But there was no man there at the cross that stood up and said, go ahead and release him. They had a little pity just from, you know, we think man's got some good in him. Where was it there? It was not anywhere to be seen. No man stood with him at the cross. And in the garden, we totally forsook him there. So... We need to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That means he began it, he finishes it, he's the one that gives us the faith. It's his faith, it's not our faith that we work up, it's the faith of God. That's what the scripture says, and it's given to us by God through grace. And you know, and it also says we're kept by the power of God. That, that's something to rejoice in. We don't have to start it. We don't have to keep it going. And we don't have to end it. He's going to do every bit of it for us. He said that. It, we're just as sure of heaven. If we've been born again, a child of God, we're standing here. We may not feel it some days. The world may be totally against us. But if we're a child of God, our foot's on the rock and it'll never be moved. We may tremble on the rock, but that rock will never move, brother. It's a big rock and he's not going to move and nobody can move it. There's no man can separate us. No anything can separate us from the love of God. You know, it says that every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's every knee. That doesn't mean just the ones that are born again. In the last day, every knee. I don't care. These evil politicians that go around strutting their stuff, acting like they know it all, got it all, and going to give you all. They don't have it anymore in anything, and it's going to be revealed in the last day. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's going to make the crooked things straight one of these days, and it's going to be, be revealed what man really is, and all these things will be made clear. We don't understand them all now. You know, we hear all this. You, if you listen to the news, you're the most confused person in the world because one day they'll tell you you need to do this about the COVID. Next day you don't, it'll kill you, and you'll just be so confused. That's why, like Brother Ronnie, God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. Don't be frozen in fear. Keep trusting in God, following God, worshiping God. He said he will take care of us. That doesn't mean none of us going to get sick. But if we do, he'll either see us through it and we'll, we'll come back out of it with health. Or it, what's the worst thing can happen? The scripture said we're going to die. Well, it's a 100% chance we're going to die anyway. You know, so, and what's going to happen? We're going to go to be with the Lord. Is that that bad? No. And I'm not saying we should be ridiculous and go licking the doorknobs of places where they got COVID all over the place. But we need to follow the wisdom of God Almighty that he's given us. But we shouldn't have the fear of man and the fear of these diseases. God's in control of these pestilences too. If he wants it to end, he could end it. He has a purpose in these things. I don't understand all that. He allows things. Probably for the judgment of God, this country has stood and shook our fist in his face and said, we will not have you to rule over us. We want to march in the streets. We want to promote homosexuality. And, uh, you know, I feel so sorry for our young people in this day and time. I really do. People get on them a lot because they're so messed up. But the problem is we haven't stood for things, according to the scriptures, like we should stood stood over the years. And, you know, the they're teaching all this in school. We had some neighbors come over the other day. They go to one of these mega churches, and they were telling how they divide the young people up in these little groups. It's not the Sunday school. It's something separate than that. 
And she said that they've got a 14-year-old granddaughter that they're raising because of a bad situation. And they get them in this group, and they start asking this four or five people, you know, these teenagers, you know, do you ever have any problems with thoughts about which sexuality you are, you know, whether you're a male or a female or stuff? Well, these young people, they're stirring this up in these young people to make them think that you shouldn't, you shouldn't know, you know. You're the odd one. If you know what you are, you're the odd one. So this granddaughter spoke up and said, yeah, I have thoughts. Some days, you know, I like boys and some days I like girls. Well, I don't think, and her mother, her grandmother didn't think she meant it in the evil way that they're talking about. Just meant some days she likes girls and the next day girls drive her nuts and she likes to be around boys. But they try to make it into something. Anyway, they sent her a counseling session over the Internet. And it, it was the most ungodly stuff. And this is coming from a church. But what I'm saying is the young people are so confused today because if they're not sitting under some true biblical teaching, then what you're hearing in the world, it's just all confusion. And in the Old Testament, it talks in several places where Israel had forsaken God. He says, we have confusion of faith. That's what happens. When we forget God, when God is not our anchor, we will forget God. We'll be turned into everything. And you look around today and you say, I can't believe people do that. Or I can't believe they think that way. What are they thinking? I tell you what they're thinking. Their thinking is void of God, and when you're void of God, and there's no anchor in this book, no anchor in the God of heaven, and you don't believe in Him, you're going to do anything that's bug. And I believe God is removing His restraining hand here in this last day and allowing man just to show what He is. You know, the number 666, people get all excited about it, but the number 666, 6 is the number of man. And I think that's what. I don't know all about the 666 thing, but it's man, man, man. I think in the end days, that's what man is exalting himself up above God. And God is taking his restraining hand off because man says, I don't want any part of you. And you see where we're getting. We're getting the judgment of God. We're already under the judgment of God. When you see these things start happening in our nation, the judgment of God has already started. And we need repentance in this country and turning back to God. And we need to think on these things that our Savior is highly exalted and we can trust in Him. He's worthy of our praise, brothers and sisters. He is. He's worthy of all our praise, our admonition. And that's what's going to be happening in heaven too. It's not going to end when we leave here. Some people think we're going to heaven, going to have a big vacation. It's not going to be a vacation. It's going to be 100% worshiping Him, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation were, who is worthy of all praise, all honor, all dominion, all everything good you can think about. It belongs unto God Almighty. And the sooner we realize that, the happier people will be. And I believe we believe that here. But we need to be encouraged in these things and to know, you know, to Him be glory forever and ever. And we need to rejoice in the fact, like I said a while ago, that we have an inheritance. It's incorruptible, undefiled, and it's reserved in heaven for us. Nothing, nobody can get to it. Like Paul said over in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing, nobody, and he lists all these things, cannot separate us from the love of God. It's impossible. I don't care how tough they sound. I don't care how, many, how big the army is. The battle is not ours. It's God Almighty's is who it is. And he's never been beaten. He's never going to be beat. He's never been defeated yet. It looks like it sometimes, but it's just because he's allowed it. But it's all, everything that happens is going to be for his glory. Even the wrath of man, he said, is going to praise him one day. And, you know, David said back there, he made an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. And that's where all of our confidence and our trust is in God Almighty who got this covenant that he ordered in all things, and I'm glad it's ordered in all things. If he left one thing out, you know what? It had been screwed up because we'd have screwed it up. That's the kind of people we are. We're totally depraved. 
even after we're born again, we're totally dependent on the grace of God for everything we have. And I've got a quitter. He's going to throw me out of here. Love y'all. Thank you for your kind attention.